Sin and shin. Okay, sharp, press, eat, two, two front teeth. Rulers, persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles at your word. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor uh, falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing can make me stumble. I, am, I wait for your salvation, O Lord, and follow your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. Oh, good stuff. Uh, let's see here. Um, oh, i got to change that. I'll get that in a minute. Let's see here. Uh, today is 11th. No, it's not 11th. Uh, what day is it today? It's the 8th. Today is the 8th. 8th. 11th is Sunday. Okay. Time skipper. Dang it. <laughs> Just when the Apostle Paul intended a Spainward thrust of the gospel to evangelize Western Europe, he was detained in Jerusalem, then imprisoned two years in Caesarea, finally appealing to the imperial court. He was hustled aboard ship for Rome, but a typhoon besieged the vessel. It sank, and Paul swam ashore, only, only to be bitten by a viper. Thus, he found himself stranded on the island of Malta for three months. But careful readers of Acts 27 and 28 are always impressed with Paul's self-possession. He kept his head above water even when his ship was going down. He knew how to remain even-tempered, though all the elements of frustration were at hand. Paul's missionary dreams were thwarted. He was imprisoned when he craved freedom and forced into inactivity when he desired action. He was eager to reach Rome, but the winds blew against him. He was a man of progress, making no headway. Wanting to redeem the time, he was beached on an obscure island. He was stalled. In due time, the sea lanes reopened for the spring, and on February 8th, A.D. 60, Paul boarded ship for the remainder of the trip to Rome. Now, that's speculation. They can't prove it was February 8th, but we're going by their speculations. As for being frustrated, there's no sign of it. Paul's life and ministry were so entrusted to the Lord that he took everything that befell him, both squalls and stalls, as from God. Experience had taught him to trust in the Lord's providence and to lean on the Lord's promises. During the height of the earlier tempest, he had summarized his philosophy, philosophy for the terrified sailors. I belong to God and I worship him. Cheer up! I am sure that God will do exactly what he promised. It was not in due time, but in divine time, that Paul reached Rome. His nerves held steady in the storm. His spirit remained patient in delay. He knew how to wait on his God. Uh, three months later, while we sailed in a ship that had been docked at Malta for the winter, we arrived in Syracuse and stayed for three days. From there, we sailed to Regium. The next day, a, yes, a south wind began to blow, and two days later, we arrived at Puteoli. There we found some of the Lord's followers who begged us to stay with them. A week later, we left for the city of Rome. Okay, and that's from Acts 28, 11 through 14. And this was from the F.F. Bruce commentary on the book of Acts. I've not heard anything bad about F.F. Bruce, and I've read a little bit of this stuff. As soon as I recommend him, though, somebody will come and say he was a heretic about this or that. So I never recommend people, but I've never heard anything bad about F.F. Bruce. Okay, i got a few things to read before we get into... Uh, Danielle, poor Danielle, she's had just a tough week. Uh, she uh, is the lady that had the uh, uh, surgery, uh, 
probably been a month now. I'm a little tired today, so I can't quite think. But uh, she has been having seizures, and uh, so she was in the hospital. Now she's out of the hospital, but you know she's just completely beaten up from the past week. So please keep Danielle in prayer. Um, I got uh, some good news and a request from Pakistan. Uh, the guy that we read his uh, uh, testimony and his affliction a while ago, the guy with the uh, psoriasis all over his body. And I had pictures. I sent them off to anybody that asked, and it was terrible. But here's what it says. A greetings in the name of Jesus. In the first of all, I am grateful that God, my heavenly Father, takes care of me in my difficult time. I cried to him in my prayers to heal me, and I am glad that the medication is working successfully. And this is a result of your prayers and the help that encouraged me that I was able to buy medication. Now, remember, this is a guy that had the nose operation and it cost like $80 or it was some, here it would have been an $8,000 procedure, maybe, maybe more. And then he needed the, the medicine for his psoriasis or eczema. That's what it is. It's all over his body. Just poor guy. Um, this is helping my eczema wounds have dryness on it and it is turning white. He got pictures and his whole body is just white. So it's all going away very quickly. Happy about that. Doctor said I should continue this medicine. My wife is grateful and she is happy how God has been doing wonderful things by his miracles. I'm glad to tell you that my wife has completely healed. The doctors advised me to take another eight weeks to complete the healing. I need your prayers and help. I would need to buy this eight weeks medicine costing $114. I asked if I could wait and send it next month with the thing and they said they can't do that because he has to continue with the medicine now so I'd have to send it so it's going to be about $120 so if anybody wants to pay that great if not I'm going to pay that tomorrow because I want this guy to continue to not oh he's just looking so much better than he did uh, my wife and I are always in prayer for those brothers and sisters who help us we are sending our pictures in this letter and thanking you for your prayer. So if anybody wants a copy of the photos, email me and I'll send them right up to you. And uh, he's just looking way better than he did. Um, got another one. This is from Kenya. Glory to the Lord Jesus. This is the month we normally experience drought season. And now is the high time that we really need to connect the water to help the children in food growing. Uh, he's been working on getting the well, the pumps, the tanks, the you know everything. And uh, they're still short a little bit. Um, the let's see items needed for connection two 10,000 liter tanks each tank is $870 he still needs to get uh, money for the equipment and the pump which is $6,500 and he needs uh, quote, tank stand building which required concrete cement aluminum uh, $1,677 so we're up to about uh, so we're up to close to 9,000 uh, it's been coming down slowly but surely but they still need this to finish this entire job uh, so if anybody can help with Kenya, let me know, and we'll tell you how you can get the money to them. And finally, this is just a report from, she didn't ask for anything, it's just Remy in the Philippines, who's just like a little ball of fire. She just goes like the Energizer bunny rabbit. Um, yesterday, we went uh, to a school in Dingkilan, one of the remote areas in our city where a friend of mine teaches. It was quite an adventure, as we had to cross a scary hanging bridge and a river just to reach the school. Despite the challenges, it was fun and worth it. Witnessing the joy on the kids' faces as they received the gifts we brought was truly priceless. So thank everybody that's been helping her. We distributed 20 pairs of shoes yesterday. That was because they had no shoes in many of the families. They left the rest for the teacher to give her other students as many were absent. 
Some were sick, others had to stay home to help their parents earn money. Their main source of income is making bamboo blinds. If you've ever been to the Philippines, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I just, it's one of the poorest countries on the planet, and uh, but it's such a wonderful place. Sadly, one student in the class is now under the care of the DSWD, uh, which is Department of Social Work and Development, due to being in a uh, suspect in a tragic death of a second grade pupil. It's heartbreaking to see such challenges faced by an 11 year old. Life in that area is undeniably tough as we came to realize in our visit. We spent the time conversing with teachers, students, and parents, gaining insight into their daily struggles and triumphs. It was a humbling experience that made us want to do more. So she just goes and goes. Ever since her husband died, she has taken over that ministry and just run with it. So good job, Remy. Um, okay, that's all the prayer. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Tom's wife, Nancy. I just heard uh, she's. Uh, we prayed for her, and she was getting better, and now she's had a kind of a relapse with something. So we want to keep Nancy in prayer as well. But Heavenly Father, here we are in your presence, and we're so grateful to you for how Deleep is uh, getting better and uh, Remy's efforts and... Uh, uh, just how she's uh, taking care of so many people and carrying a burden that uh, once was her and her husband, now she's doing all alone. And uh, we pray for strength for her and uh, we also pray for uh, Kenya, that people will come forward and meet those needs and uh, uh, they'll have drinking water and uh, reserve and uh, farm land is already taken care of, but they have water for the land. and uh, so. Uh, we know that you'll provide according to your wisdom. So we thank you for that, and we just pray for this class. And uh, Lord, we want to thank you very, very greatly for the effort of Ron over the past week helping uh, get the church into order, and his brother who has done quite a bit to, uh, uh, after 10 years, the place is looking, uh, has a facelift, and we thank you for them and their efforts. And so uh, uh, safe, we pray for safe drive for Ron back home again for the third time, fourth time this week. Uh, long drive, but we pray for that and we thank you. And uh, Lord, your word is so wonderful. We just pray that you will open our eyes to uh, great things in it tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, okay, let's see here. We are in the book of 1 Timothy, and I think we're still in chapter one. We're, we're, I think you're right. Okay, if we're not, we... First 10? First 10. Oh, no, we're in nine. I, I have, oh wait a minute, I see 9 and then 10, because this was, that's where it ended last week. So yes, we don't have to worry about verse 9. 9 is done. Uh, we're in verse 10. Okay, so um, give me a... start on 8, beginning yep. of the paragraph. Okay, for we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not to the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, and ungodly and sinful the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, uh, for murderers, 10, for adulterers for, and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. Oh boy, see, that, that's, a, that's a long list. Let's see here. Hello, Susan Garrett, how are you? They always say that the Bible's unclear about slavery. It yeah, they're pretty... Yeah, well, let's see here. It says, uh, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Okay, so kidnappers. I think slave is not a correct translation because Paul is... Slave traders, uh, yeah. Yeah, slave traders, but kidnappers. is people that take people and, yeah. you know. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, the Bible actually is silent on the issue of slavery. It, is. it, 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 it acknowledges it exists, mm -hmm. 
Paul writes to bond servants and he tells them if you're you can get your freedom great if you can't you know you're where you're supposed to be apparently and he says even if you're not a slave you're a slave of Christ mm -hmm. so you know uh, so and just, uh, just kidnap all these girls right women. right people like that is yeah. what it's referring to yeah. okay so here we go 110 oh you know and I want to thank John and Shauna for driving like 10 hours to get here for Bible class today. So good to have them here. They come once in a while and here they are again. So wonderful to have you guys here. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, it does everybody, are the chairs comfortable? Everybody liking them? Yeah. I just okay. fell asleep for a little bit. Okay, good, there you go. Yeah, uh, we, after 10 years, we got somebody uh, offered to help the church with uh, new chairs and we got new carpet and so things are uh, a little more comfortable for people here. You have to and, watch Steve. He said he's not going to go to sleep. Well, we, you know what we were talking about doing is moving all the chairs in a circle and, and just having a holy roller. And we just, because the carpet feels so good, that we just, we'll be Pentecostal tonight. And, yes. You know. Okay, um, let's see here. Um, 10. Paul continues his lengthy list of who the law is intended for. His next target is fornicators. That's the first of this list. The word is pornos. Obviously, we know uh, that's where we get our modern word porno, but uh, pornos. Specifically, it means a male prostitute. However, it is more appropriately speaking of anyone engaging in sexual immorality. Following this come sodomites. The Greek word is arsenokoitis. It comes from two separate words which translate as a male and a bed. Everybody got that? A male and a bed. All right. Thus, it means it, to, it refers to a man in bed with another. Okay. Now, you hear people that defend LGBT ideology and they say it's okay. You know, the, the Bible doesn't actually have a word for homosexuality. Well, they have a way of describing the word. Okay, yeah, just because there isn't a word for the rapture. I mean, there is in the Greek, but it, we don't use the word rapture in the Greek. And so people say, well, the word rapture is never in the Bible. Well, yes, but it can be described. And Paul does that very clearly in 1 Thessalonians 4 and in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, etc. So just because you don't have a word like trinity, it doesn't mean that the Trinity cannot be described, and it does not mean that the Trinity does not exist. Well, people say there's no word that actually describes homosexuality in the Bible. There is, but despite that, there are also ways of describing it, okay? So, uh, the word is arsenokoites. It comes from two wor separate words which translate as a male and a bed, okay? Once again, it refers to a, ma a man in bed with another. And if you go to the last page of the Bible, it says that outside are the, anybody? Dogs, okay? And that comes from the book of Deuteronomy. It is the position that a man assumes doing a certain thing, like a dog. Everybody got that? So when it says that the dogs will be out, they are not to enter in, it means exactly what we're talking about right here. There are different ways of describing this. The Bible is explicitly clear on this. If anybody can't read Romans 1 and understand what it is saying, they're idiots, okay? I, I'm sorry if that offends you, but they are idiots. They are intentionally denying what the clear text says, okay? So uh, you can have every illogical argument in the world against it, and that's all it is, is an illogical argument. So enough on that. Uh, more specifically, it is the perversion, which we today call 
homosexuality. Although termed acceptable in apostate churches of today, the word of God stands, and such who participate in this perversion are exactly who the law was written for. It is to show them God's standard and to reveal them the punishment due for their abominable actions. Now, that does not mean that a homosexual, homosexual cannot be saved, okay? Happens all the time. But it means that you are living in a lifestyle that is incompatible with Christianity, and if you come to Christ, you must give that up, okay? That obviously comes after. You don't get the cure before you uh, go to the doctor. You go to the doctor, you get cured, and then they say, you know, this is inappropriate for this style of life. It's the same as any other sin. Doesn't matter what sin you have in your life, there is a law for your sin, and there is a remedy for your sin, which is coming to Christ. And then, after you come to Christ, you give it up. And if not, then you're going to get what? 1 Corinthians 5. You're, well, no, you're going to get expelled from the congregation well, if you're in a decent here. church. You will lose rewards. That's later. But um, uh, somebody asked kind of an interesting question this week, and um, speaking of rewards, he said, uh, when we go before the Lord, and this is obviously something that uh, uh, would concern everybody, if you think about it. When we go before the Lord, we have a judgment for reward and loss. Well, are you getting rewarded for things you've done right for Christ and then having rewards lost from that list for things you've done wrong? Okay. Or are the things you've done wrong, they're just things that you are not rewarded for? Okay. And my thought was, it, the Bible doesn't really address it, no. okay? It doesn't say. But my thought is, if you were given a reward for something, it makes no sense to take that reward away. When you speed, you go to the court, and what do they do? They give you a F-I-N-E, right? You, are, you pay a fine. What is the purpose of the fine? So you don't do it again. So do it again. That's right, okay? So that's not taking away something that you have except based on future performance. Well, there is no future performance. You're being judged before the Lord for what you've done. So my guess is that what you do for the Lord will be rewarded. It doesn't matter what it is, how inconsequential it seems to you. If it was done in faith, you will get your reward. You will not lose from that list, okay? But the things that you could have done for the Lord that were wrong, you will get no reward for, and that is loss. Okay, that's just me thinking that through. I'm not saying that that's a, that answers the question. But I can't see the Lord saying, okay, I'm giving you this reward. Now I'm taking that away because you did something stupid the next day. Everybody got that? That's my thought. I don't know that, but if, if you go to a court, you are given a fine or prison or whatever, and you're supposed to learn from that. Now, obviously, in America, that doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> you know, I watched a, a video on, um, might have been Breitbart. It was one of these uh, news sites I go to, and there's a kid that went into the Apple store. This is out in, I think, San Francisco or Oakland. It's one of these. Maybe uh, uh, Portland. One of these places there. He walked into the Apple store. And there's like 50 people in there. And there's, you know how they have lines of phones. Lines of phones. He walks up, he grabs three phones, tears them off. You know, he gives another pull to yank out the cord, puts them in his pocket. He goes and he gets about probably 80 or 100 phones. Nobody got him. Nobody did a thing. And they walked right out, and there's a cop sitting right there, and he walked right past him with all these phones in a pants that are now this big, and he just walked away, okay? And, you know, the law says $900 you can steal, and you won't get in trouble. He had $10,000 worth of stuff on him, and they did nothing, okay? Yeah, so there's no point in having 
a court system, and there's no point in punishing people out in places like that. There's, there's absolutely none, because they know that they're not going to get in any trouble. They know. So why even bother? They don't care anymore. Apple can suck it up. All right, that's their attitude. People that have worked hard all their life and have earned something can have everything stolen from them, and nobody's going to do anything. So that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a God that is absolutely fair in everything he does. He is, there's no unrighteousness in God. Every single thing that you have done for him, he will reward. Okay, why he would take something away from you that you've been rewarded makes no sense to me. That's just my thinking about the nature of God. I'm not there yet. I have no idea. And if I'm going to lose, if I have a, 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 a pile here and a pile here, and I'm going to lose because of what I did here, then this pile's going to be down here. I'm not going to get anything. So I hope that what I have earned stays here and all of this just doesn't get anything. That's what I hope. Otherwise, my bad is going to wipe out any good I've ever done in my life. And I know that. And I'm talking about my life since meeting Christ because before Christ, it doesn't make any difference. You're, we're all on the same level until the day we come to Christ. But I know the thoughts I think and the things I do, everything will be gone if the Lord is going to take away rewards from the plus pile. Okay? So, uh, that's my thoughts on it. That's man's thinking, though, right? Isn't well, I know. That, that's what I'm saying. I'm thinking of the nature of God. Right. The nature of God is unchanging. He is fair in every way. I've done something for him. He's going to reward me for that, and it'll stay. Man's thinking as well. And obviously, the person who emailed me this is worried about that. He's obviously got something in his life that he is not doing right, or he's worried about some past action that's going to wipe out every good he's ever done for the Lord. And I don't think that's reasonable. I don't think that's reasonable at all. That's just me. Okay, as a matter of fact, when I gave him my answer, he came back and he defended again, which tells me he's really worried about what he's going to get and what he's not going to get. I don't think God is going to deal that way with him. I don't. Okay, so anyway, that's just a, a side issue, but it has to do with what we're talking about right here. Okay. Jeremy, um, yes. On the, on the word sodomites, just that meant, that means man and bed? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it, well, no, the word arsenokoitis does. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it, that means. Uh, two separate words, a male and a bed. Okay, that's two separate words that come together. Now, Sodom, that's our English word for the name of the city where right. that was a sin. Right. And so we use that term, he's a Sodomite. But, you know, here's something that the people that hold to their twisted view of Scripture will say. They take what it says in Ezekiel about Sodom. Has anybody heard this one before? Okay, because in Ezekiel, he doesn't cite the sexual sin. It's as blatant and as apparent as it can be in Genesis 18, isn't it? I mean, that's what they focus on. But they take Ezekiel where it says you're just like, uh, you're worse than Sodom. And they say something like, uh, the Lord speaking to Ezekiel says something like um, they were unmerciful to their neighbor. And in other words, they use that and say, well, see, that's the real sin of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's not what was described in Genesis. Okay, that is a twisting of scripture. Okay, that is how you... Well, absolutely. But they're using what it said in Ezekiel as saying that's the reason why they were burned up. Okay, they were also that way is what the Lord is saying to Ezekiel. They're not saying, he's not saying that that wasn't what was happening here. That It was that plus this. Everybody got that? So he was making a, a, a lesson to Israel, to Judah or whoever at the time about the state of Israel in relation to Sodom. 
He didn't address that issue, but what they do is they take those verses from Ezekiel and say, that's the real sin, and God didn't care about the other stuff that was going on. That's how perverted and twisted the thinking is in these apostate churches, okay? They will take everything and twist it so that they can get away with the perversion that they are living out in their lives. So be ready for those type of conversations because I've dealt with these people. I've had one came to the church one time, you know, it was like a Friday afternoon and I sat down and I told him exactly what the Bible says. And he decided he was going to listen to what he was told by this specialist preacher that is completely twisted scripture so badly that it's not even the Bible anymore. Why did he feel compelled to ask somebody else? Well, because I I can't get into it, but it wasn't his decision. I'll leave it at that. Anyway, so it was a person that I was asked to speak to, and I won't go beyond that. Romans 1.27 says he burned. Yeah, in in passion, one for another. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and then he says the same thing, women uh, committing shameful. Exactly. It's, It's as clear as it could be. If you read Romans 1 and you can't understand what he's talking about, you might as well just you know, go check yourself into a mental hospital. That's, it's just that clear. But they will do anything to twist scripture to justify what is unjustifiable. And that's what we're going through here. Okay, so, um, uh, yes, okay. Paul's next class are kidnappers. The Greek word is used only here. It signifies a slave, such as a man taken in war and sold into slavery. What is probably on Paul's mind here is a person who steals free men and sells them into slavery, or one who steals the slaves of others and resells them, okay? That is, because it's such an unusual word, that's probably what is going on there. Uh, But we see it all the time here in America. Little girls and even little boys are disappearing all over the nation. You read about it more and more and more every single day. You know, 300 people arrested in Florida because of this. And then you see 87 of them arrested down in Arizona because of this. And it's just, it has become like a a, a flower that's opened up. It's just, not just doubled in size, it's gotten enormous. I hate to even use the word flower because the flower is something pretty, but it's just a balloon of depravity going on with little children. And that's because of the people on the left that are running this nation and that are condoning this type of thing, okay? Uh, you know, I don't know. Well, I better not get into that one. That was kind of gross. Anyway, um, but it was right in the news. I mean, I just didn't even post it on the CG report because it was just so vile. But the things that people are doing are just unbelievable. Because um, they can. Yeah, because they can. And there's no accountability. So, you know, I, I keep thinking every day when I read these things, I keep, here it is. I'm going to read it to you. Instead of me telling you, I'm just going to read it to you. This is what goes through my mind every single day. And every day it gets worse, and I say, when is it going to meet up with this? Okay, this is it. Um, Let's see here. Um, Then, this is Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So he said, I will destroy the man destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I've made them. Okay? That's, that goes through my mind every single day now, and every day it gets worse than the day before. When is what we're doing going to meet up with what it says there? Because Jesus said, in the days of Noah, okay, 
The Lord promised he's never going to destroy the world again by flood. Did he promise that he was never going to destroy the world again? He no. He <laughs> it explicitly says that the world that we now know will be destroyed by fire. By fire. By fire. Okay? He's not going to flood the world again. The world is going to consume itself in nuclear holocaust and, and all the other, uh, you know, this climate change. What they're going to do is they're going to try to fix the climate and they're going to cause so much damage to the environment that there's going to be heat all over the earth. It's going to be global and not because of what we're doing now. It's because what they are going to do to say they're fixing what we're doing now. Okay, we're living as human beings on this earth. But what they're going to do is, I was reading something yesterday. You know, the Chinese want to do it. Somebody else is in support of it now. They want to send out a satellite with a, a screen, this giant screen that'll open up and it'll block the sun when it gets to a certain point out from the Earth. You know, that is going to completely destroy this planet when they do something like that. Yeah. Insane people. But, you know, they're the specialists. You know, it's like they, they know that creation is wrong and the evolution is true and that the people that believe in creation are insane, right? Right. They know all these things. <sighs> okay, so the Eighth Commandment refers to stealing. Among all the theft, this would be of the most repugnant of types, if not the most repugnant of all. Stealing another human being, selling him or her off, or doing whatever you're going to do with that person, that is a repugnant thing, okay? Slavery in and of itself happened all through the Old Testament. It happens in the New. It happens all today. over the Arab world today. Africa, slavery is alive and well in the world, okay? The Bible doesn't really comment on that. They, it acknowledges that it exists. It's a part of the human condition. And as I said, Paul says, if you can get out of it, great. If you can't, that's your station in life. You know, be good to your master. You are representing the Lord now. So you be a better slave, not a worse slave, okay? That's about all that there is on that issue. But um, a person that just actually goes and steals other people's property, uh, you know, uh, Adam Clark, I don't remember what, maybe it was in the Exodus, maybe it was sometime in Genesis, probably in Exodus during the Ten Commandments. But he said, you know, a person is out in an open field. He's arrived in the place. He's traveled there. Nobody's been there before. This is after the flames. He's just giving an example. He stops, he picks up a rock, he takes another rock and he starts chipping in. He makes something, so he's got an implement now. He said, nobody in their right mind could say that doesn't belong to him. It's part of the created order. God gave him the wisdom to take something that he gave, that rock, he gave him the wisdom to make it into something. It now belongs to him. Now that's not the state of the world anymore. That's not what the left believes. That was my effort. It came from creation, and I made something out of it. But that doesn't belong to me. That belongs to whoever wants it. That's what the world of today, the people on the left in this country and around the world want, is that you have earned it, and it belongs to me. You have no right over what you have done. You know, I was thinking about Bezos this morning. Okay, he may be a triple, multi-multi-billionaire and close to a trillionaire. He earned it. Okay, he started a company, he took the risks, he set it all up, he may not be a good boss, and if he's not, guess what? Quit, all right? He may not pay enough, it doesn't matter. That is a company that he started, and he has earned the money, and he has a right to it. And the government 
has got the tax structure set up so that he can pay his taxes however they have set up. And I guarantee he doesn't pay a lot of taxes, but that's the government. That has nothing to do with you and me. As much as I may or may not like the guy, it's his. If I pick up a rock and I shape it into something and somebody tries to take it from me, I am going to defend my property because this is Florida and we have a stand your ground law. That's my property. And I'm saying that as in, a, I'm using that as a lesson for all of the things that I have. I have a wife sitting right there. If somebody tries to harm her and I am there, I will defend my wife. This is a stand your ground state, okay? I hope people understand what I'm saying. I'm trying to say it without getting into, but you know, one time I was at the mall. I was working at the mall and somebody did something there that they should not have done. And I walked into the place and I, I said, don't ever do that again. Okay, I won't say what it was, but it was something that they had no right to do at that mall. They're a tenant, they had no right to do it, and they were doing it anyway, without manager approval, and certainly without my approval, and I'm the one that takes care of the place. And I said, don't ever do that again. And one of the customers, obviously a friend of the person behind the counter, followed me out. And he walked up to me, and now I'm down two stairs because I'm walking down the back stairs. So he's already a big guy, and he's two stairs above me. So he's, he, he probably could have done some damage to me. And I said, I want you to think about what you are about to do. I said, there's a camera right over there, and there's a camera right over there. And I said, this is Florida. This is a stand your ground state. You will not leave here in the same condition you're in right now. And he backed up and he left. That's all I had to say to him, okay? I will defend who I am as a human being. We have a right to do that, all right? And when somebody goes and steals somebody like that, what did Abraham do? took 318 men and he followed them and he defeated those kings and he got back his property and his cousin, okay? I, I'm just angry about this. That there are people in this world today that are allowed to do these things and they're getting away with it. I won't go live in one of those states where and that can happen. I, our government is helping them do these things. That's why I live in Florida. I'm very happy to live here where I can stand my ground. Okay, I, you know, if you don't know what that means, just go type it in your scroll bar on the internet and find out what stand your ground is. But I think everybody that lives in Florida should be able to say, I am going to stand my ground. If you disagree with that, that's fine. Yeah, I was going to say that and then I thought, I don't want to be intimidating, but I, I believe what I am saying. Okay, I believe what I am saying, that this is our fundamental human right to protect the people that we love and the property that we have earned. Okay, if we got it illegally, then that's why we have a system to treat people like that. But anyway, okay, Paul then goes to liars. Oh, you got something? I want you to tell me that Lot wasn't his nephew. He was his cousin, you're saying? Um, Lot was his nephew. Did I say cousin? Yeah. Whatever I said, thank you. He was, he was his nephew. Yeah, he was uh, his sister's son. Yeah, okay. If I said cousin, I apologize. But yeah, I do that all the time. Peter is Paul and Paul is Peter in my head. It happens all the time. Yes, he was his nephew. Um, okay, so Paul then goes to liars. Here is the ninth commandment. Uh, in John 8, 44, Jesus calls the devil a liar and the father of, yeah, all lies. Obviously, then a liar is one for whom the law is written. Should someone follow the path of lying? And I know every person in here if they were honest, would raise their hand and say, yeah, I've done that. That's not what that's speaking of. That's speaking of people that just continuously 
put out, it, they issue lies. Now, none of us should lie. It's something we should be honest at all times. If we lie, there, you know, we've got all kinds of terms to justify lying. We call them white lies. We call them protective lies. We, you know, like we may not tell somebody the full truth because we don't want to harm them. Mom is in the hospital, hospital right? She's going to die. I'm not, not my mom. I'm just giving an example. Okay. She's in the hospital. She's going to die. And her middle son died yesterday. Does it do any good to tell her when she's going to die within the next couple days? That would do no good. How's Johnny? He's fine. Okay. I understand that's not telling the truth, but at the same time, he's in a better place if he knew Jesus. So he's fine. Okay. Uh, you get the point. We, this is a world where there, sometimes we have to make moral decisions. Rahab the harlot made a moral decision, and she lied, and she's complimented for having done so, okay? And I explained exactly, exactly what that means when we did that sermon. If you don't understand, you can, but there is a moral law that supersedes this law, because this law is given for people that do the things that he's talking about in the wrong way. Okay, when she and you know there are other lies in the Bible that nothing is said about them, and actually they are they fit into what is going on in the narrative around there. Okay, so we have to be careful with that. Uh, uh, what's that? Yeah, missionaries have to lie if they want to be missionaries in some countries. We know some of them that have attended this church. They are in those countries, and if they were found out for what they were doing, they could go to prison, or they certainly would be kicked out of the country. Okay, so, you know, there's an entire, there's an entire system that is built in for missionaries called uh, worldwide tent makers. Okay, they go into a country, they have a skill. Charlie Garrett does wastewater. I'm still certified. I could go to pretty much any country on the planet and they would hire me because having a wastewater license is valuable, especially in countries where, you know, you need to have education and they don't. Okay, so I could go and I could say, I am here to be a wastewater operator, but I'm actually hired by worldwide tent makers to be a missionary. They're supporting me. Any money I make over there is great, but my main purpose of being there is to evangelize, okay? It's a whole system that's set up this way because we believe that the gospel is more important than those lesser details. Good, good, whatever you call it, um, uh, example, thank point. you. Yeah, good point, good example. Anyway, um, so uh, obviously liar is one for whom the law is written. Should someone follow the path of lying, the penalty of the law is intended to instruct him of his just due for that misconduct. That's why we have the law, okay? And as Paul said, you know, the law is not intended for people like the righteous. It's not the purpose of the law. If you're doing the things of the law, then you don't need the law, okay? Law is supposed to be given for the people like that guy that was filling his pockets full of Apple phones this morning. He should be in prison for probably the rest of his life for arrogance, if nothing else, just for simply being arrogant. But he knows he can do it. And so he's going to get away with it. And he's probably going to go do the same thing tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. That's, he's going to get away with it. And somebody is harmed by that, but it's not him and they don't care. Okay, perjurers is next. Again, it is a word found only here in Scripture. It's epiorkos. It is epiorkos. It is derived from two words indicating against and oath, right? You've got an oath and you're against it, you're a perjurer, okay? So, thus, this is a person who swears falsely. 
This is also aligned with the ninth commandment. Now, we have had people recently, because the left allows it in some states now, when they enter into office, they no longer have to swear on the Bible. And so one lady recently, or I think this one was a guy, um, was allowed to swear on his Metallica album. He brought in his Metallica music, and that's what he swore on. Another one, a lady was allowed to swear in on, she got a whole bunch of the most perverse books, books. that she could find. You know, pedophile books and all this nonsense, and she swore her oath of office on that. Okay, there is no consequence for being a perjurer because those things don't mean anything. They have no value. They have, they have no intrinsic ability to convict a person. All they're going to do is further corrupt her already totally corrupt mind. Okay, but the reason why we had people swear on a Bible is because you are accountable to God when you are swearing on a Bible. Even if you don't believe the Bible, you believe that there is a something that is instilled in us that says this could be true, okay? And so that's why they do it. Um, uh, when I went to the 50 states, I read all 50 state constitutions, and I know I said this in the class a year or so ago, so you're probably all going to remember this, but um, Tennessee would not allow two types of people to enter into public office in their constitution. Now, I don't know if this is still on the books or not, but she said one of them. Say it again. Pastors. Okay, what's the other? Atheists and pastors. Okay? Atheists are obviously, and they say right there, they're morally unqualified to take a oath of office because they have nothing that they are attesting to. And so they are out. They are not allowed to be. And a pastor has a higher calling than we cannot ask them to step down from their calling in order. I think it was actually ministers of the gospel is the way they said it, not pastors specifically. But they have a higher calling than any state office. And so they are not allowed to hold state office because they do not want it to inter interfere with their calling. Now tell me if that is something you'd see anymore, okay? But this is the world that we're living in now. They understood at one time in our history that it meant something to teach the Bible. It meant something to swear on a Bible. And none of that matters to anybody anymore. The Western films, uh, when they had the trials. Oh, yeah. Swore on, the on the Bible. Bible. There. So Perry Mason. Yeah. Even Perry Mason. Yeah. That's the 50s. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, boy. See, that's all gone now. That's all gone. Um, okay, so uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, it's aligned with the Ninth Commandment. Paul continue, could continue on for a lengthy time with more specific types of people for whom the law is written. Entire chapters of Leviticus identify specific laws and the penalties for violating those laws. Deuteronomy repeats many of these and builds upon them. But to sum up his thoughts, he simply says, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. That is who the law is written for. The word translated as doctrine is used by Paul 19 times in his letters. He uses it 15 times in the three pastoral epistles. That's how important doctrine is to Paul, especially when training up new leaders within a church, deacons, elders, or even the people that are supposed to be holding those people to account. Okay, it's very important. All right, and it is found only two other times in the New Testament. So Paul writes 19 of them, 15 in the epistles, and only two other times in the whole New Testament. That shows you how important Paul's writings are so to sound doctrine. Teaching. 
Well, yeah, doctrine. it could be. I, I don't have that, but it could be. Doctrine well, and... That's how mine reads. Okay, well, he <laughs> says that it's a word... I didn't write down what the word is, so I don't know, but he says it's synonymous with teaching, which would make complete sense. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. It means instruction or teaching. I didn't get to my last sentence, and there it is. So, but I didn't write what the word itself is. So, but, yes, it means instruction or teaching. So sound teaching. All right. Um, I, I can't remember if I told you all this because I, I talk to people sometimes, and then it bleeds into my head. And, uh, but um, I was asked to preach uh, before I was, you know, uh, had any job or anything. I was ordained, and, and I, was, I don't remember the name of the town, but it was out by... My act, Arcadia, somewhere out there in the sticks, which probably not sticks anymore. But anyway, um, we, it was a country road that went way, 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 and there was nothing but farms out there. And there was this little church, and um, they said, "Would you come and preach for us?" And so I went out there and I preached. And uh, but beforehand, they said, "Well, we're going to have a Bible study." Arcadia. And uh, Arcadia was it Arcadia? Okay, it wasn't a big place. Wherever it was, it was out in the middle of Nowhereville. I mean, it was just a church and little houses. But anyway, um, so while I was out there, they had the Bible class, and um, they pulled out the Southern Baptist Convention book, and they read out of it. And that was their Bible. They never opened the Bible. It had nothing to do with the Bible. It was just, that was their idea of a Bible class. And I thought, this won't do. If they hire me as their preacher... I'm not using that stupid book, okay? So anyway, doctrine is important. The word of God is where doctrine comes from, not from somebody's head in an SBC whatever, okay? Okay, um, let's see here. So um, the high use of the word that one translated as doctrine in the pastorals shows us the importance of proper teaching in the church and especially in regard to those in leadership positions. The other two times it is used apart from Paul, it is seen in Jesus' words when speaking of those leaders in Israel who teach as doctrines, what is correct, the commandments of men. So they take the commandments of men and they say, now this is your doctrine, okay? He's saying that that is a perversion of what they are supposed to be doing. So uh, that's kind of uh, sad in that sense, but whatever. Um, I, oh, there it is. Okay, so let me make a note right there. And um, uh, that's, so Jesus spoke about in the context of the law. Paul is speaking about it in the context of the church, but what the reason for the law is. So he's telling him, this is why we have a law. He's writing to a pastor about being a pastor and about raising up other pastors. And he's giving them instruction about the law and what it means and why we have it and why grace is so good, okay? Without grace, you know, I, I just, I, I, the more that I think on the issue of the law versus grace, the more angry I get. I, I just, I, it, it almost causes me to fume that people want to go back to the law. You know, I was listening today to the Genesis um, series with Jacob. He goes up from, uh, you know, Bethel, he gets to Padamaram, he moves the stone and, you know, feeds uh, Rachel's flocks. And you got the whole panorama of what's going on. He's there with Laban all of those years. During that time, he, you know, first wants to marry Rachel, but he is given Leah. And then He's upset about that, but then he says, you can have Rachel after a week, and then you do another seven years for me. He's like, oh, good. Okay. Does, does anybody remember what that's picturing? Rachel pictures the... She has weak eyes. Weak Think eyes. of weak eyes. Yes. The weakness of the law. She is the law. What? Yeah, Leah. Yeah, Leah has weak eyes. Okay. Some say she has delicate eyes because, it, you know, it's weak eyes. 
and it's a picture of the law, the weakness of the law, okay? And then Rachel, she's the grace of God in Christ, okay? And the contrast is so clear. When you're listening, go watch those sermons or listen to them, and then when you get to that again, and you think all the way back in the first book of the Bible, you've got example after example after example, not just one or two, but countless examples of the law versus grace. And then we get into the giving of the law. And we get into all the trouble that the people are in under it. And then you get into more stories. And what do you have? Every single story that we've gone through, every one of them comes back to two things, the law and grace. And we can't learn this lesson, this simple lesson that God has it all taken care of for us and that we should not be trying to buy God off through our good works. And yet, I can't tell you how many emails I get from people or uh, videos that people send me links to where it's, well, we need to do this, and we need to do that. And they put the law right back in there. Every single epistle that Paul writes is standing against law observance. He's adamant about it, and yet we can't understand that what we need is Jesus. Uh, I, it, it really makes me upset in my heart because we just can't learn this simple lesson. Stay away from the people that try to impose the law on you. These are the type of people that need the law. The people that have come to Christ do not need this. What they need is more of Jesus. And if you have more of Jesus than all of this, you're not going to be doing these crazy things that he's describing right here. Instead, you're going to be pursuing him. Okay? Weak and beggarly elements. Describing the law exactly as it is. It's weak and it's beggarly. Okay? And that's what all these people that stand up and, oh, you were supposed to remind me, you didn't. All of the stuff by there, if there's anything in that little pile from the, the two boards against the wall or there's some uh, anything there, if it's not taken tonight, it's gone. So it, 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 I got all kinds of books if you want to learn like the Hebrew lexicon and whatever. It's all there. It was a big pile last Sunday, wasn't it? Man, but it, it got whittled down quickly. But I pulled more stuff out. All that has to go. And then after that, um, uh, wow, it was nice. Ron and I got rid of truckloads of stuff over the past couple days. Uh, it, it's funny how you just accumulate stuff. You just, you know, and it, it, this isn't a very big church, but there was a lot of stuff in here. And uh, those guys, when they put this carpet in, they were so careful. They did such a good job. Ron got these two things, and we the pulpit can't move. It's hardwired in. So we had to lift it up and swing it this way, swing it that way. And the wires just stayed right there. And it was amazing feet. It was amazing watching this because I wouldn't have figured that out. I would have said, I told Ron, we'll just hold it up and they can roll the carpet under it. That wouldn't have worked. No. But it, wow. I was so excited to see how all that panned out. But he had it all figured out. And these guys and him, they just, you know, I just stood there and, okay. All right, let's go on. Um, okay, so doctrine, Jesus' words, Matthew uh, 15, 9. Okay, the teaching of God's people is to be from the word of God. And it is to be taught carefully in context and according to the proper dispensation. In the case of the Gentile-led church age, the proper doctrine is to be from Paul's epistles first and foremost. We're supposed to know this whole word. We're supposed to be trained in this entire word. But first and foremost, our doctrine we derive from Paul's letters because this is the Gentile-led church age. Okay, But we have been in now uh, since uh, 2000. 10 or 11, somewhere around there. I, I was talking to somebody about this just a day ago. He wanted to know what the first day of uh, Genesis was and the first day we were in the church, and I told him we were in the church 2013, so it must have been 2010. Anyway, however long it's been, we have been in the Old Testament 
all of those years every Sunday. With a couple of, you know, we'd done a couple things in the New Testament, like when we had the hurricane and I needed to put something together. So we did, oh no, that was from Job too. Anyway, um, uh, so, uh, but even though we're in the Old Testament, everything keeps pointing to what? Jesus. Jesus, right? And where do we get that information that ties in the typology? 92.3% of it has come out of Paul's epistles. It's right there. You know, once in a while we'll go to James like we did last week and, and uh, we'll go to a, a couple other places. But for the most part, almost everything is centered on Paul's letters. That's how important it is. And it's not just that I'm picking it out, Paul, and forgetting James and John. And it's just that what Paul says is doctrine. Those other things are as well. But Paul, as I said last week, Paul is the Old Testament and he is the New Testament. He is because he was trained in the Old. He's thoroughly trained in the Old Testament. That's why the Lord used him. Those other apostles were not trained. They knew the Old Testament because they heard it in the synagogue, just like a person that goes to church every you know, Sunday in their life. They'll know, I know that story, but they don't know the theology behind it. Paul was necessary to get the theology to present it, both to the Gentiles and to the Jews. Hence, you know, he wrote, even though it doesn't say it, he wrote Hebrews. 100% convinced that he was the author of Hebrews, and that theology comes from Paul's understanding of the Old Testament. The apostles, the other apostles could not have done that. Okay, yes? So these churches that, um, that don't follow Tim, right. okay, and, are, and are marrying, what, what interpretation? I was in a church, I grew up in a church. One of them that you're talking about, it's right down the road from where you live. You know which one I'm talking about, okay? I don't think I ever heard anything outside of Jesus' words, ever. I never saw the Bible opened. You know, we had to go through what it, what they confirmation, right? You had confirmation when you're like eight or something, and they 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 never talked about the Bible. There was it's just like the Catholic Church or anything else. They just they make up their theology as they go. They've got books of discipline. They've got you know books of common order in some of them. And anytime they want to change it, they just have a synod and they say, well, we want to change this. And that becomes their law. They do not stand on the word of God. And because they don't, they can say whatever they want. That is the end. What he asked just for the people online that couldn't hear him is that he just asked, where are they getting their right to do what they're doing? Ordaining the people they're doing and accepting the marriages that they allow in the church. It comes right out of their head. Actually, it comes from Satan and it gets into their head from Satan. But that is where it comes from. It has nothing to do with the Word of God. You know, the church I grew up in, just so you know, is St. Boniface Episcopal Church out on Siesta Key. And, you know, there are four churches on the island. If, if I could, if I was a multimillionaire, I'd buy a big piece of property on the island and I'd put a fifth one on the other end because the four down at that end are all goners, okay? They are all old churches, Presbyterian, Episcopal, Catholic, and what's the fourth? And maybe there's only three. I think there's four. Anyway, um, they don't believe anything. They just make up, make it up as they go, or the Pope changes something and they go with it. And I thought, you know, if you could have a sound church out there on the key, maybe somebody would wake up and come to it. I just, whatever. It's so maddening to see. You know, this had nothing to do with growing up in that church. Nothing. Okay, did you ever hear the Bible ever opened and read? And I'm not talking about the Psalms and the Gospels. I'm talking about theology out of the New Testament. I think that's correct. And today, St. Boniface, is so, it's so socially correct. It's, it's they, they have a gay flag hanging up over the church, and it's just, 
socially correct, it's socially incorrect, but they call it socially correct. It's com it's completely apostate. 100% completely apostate. And, you know, well, whatever. Don't get me any further into that one. I just, uh, uh, what matters is the word of God and adherence to that. Everything else, that's why we have all these churches that do what they do, because they don't follow the word of God. Okay, um, uh, yes, life application. It is those who are referred to in his lengthy list of offenders for whom the law is written. How can it be that pastors and teachers throughout the world and throughout the history of the church age have continuously picked out select portions of the law as binding upon those in the church? How can they do that? Some go as far as to mandate that the entire law of Moses is still in effect, even though it's impossible for it to be. It's impossible because we don't have a temple in Jerusalem. We're not Jews, so we can't go down to Jerusalem and, you know, celebrate the, the feasts which are mandated by law. I mean, the, the unclear thinking of people in these churches is beyond the pale, okay? But that's where we're at in this world is Seventh-day Adventists. We're going to observe the law of Moses, especially God's highest law, the Sabbath. Where does that come from? You know, that, that doesn't come from the Word of God. That comes from a deluded person named Ellen G. White. And she's led millions of people astray with her false teachings. There you go. Anyway, um, but this is completely contrary to what the sense of, uh, to the sense of what Paul presents. Those in Christ are not at all for whom the law is written. We talked about that last week. The law is not written for people that are in Christ. Reintroducing the law is shown to be beyond ridiculous when taken in its proper context. Stand firm and fast on the grace of Jesus Christ alone. Stand firm in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage, which is the law. That is, you know, I, I hope that I die with words like that on my lips. No law. Ugh. You know, I just want people to get the... Ugh. What? I didn't mean to make you laugh. It just, I, I just... <laughs> well, you know what? Famous there was last words. Well, you know what? No, look at that preacher. It was uh, Alabama or Louisiana about eight years ago was standing in the pulpit and he said, you know, Jesus could come at any moment. He could come right now. And he fell over backwards and he had died right then. And they thought he was kidding. Oh, boy. And they go up there and there he is cold as the air conditioner. You know, what a great way to die. Testimony. That's what I think. What a testimony. I mean, right in the pulpit. He, he said, he could come right now. Boom. No law. Ugh. Please leave with a mark of something good on your lips. Oh, boy. Yeah. I, I would love to punch my ticket like that. Okay. Just, uh, wow. Okay. 111. Oh. Like, this, that fell off here. I don't know what that is, but that's the most spectacular dandruff it, I've ever seen it's, in my no, life. No, it, it's, it's like, a, a petal for a flower, and they put that fake, um, uh, you know, they put the flowers into dye, and they suck up the color, and that's why, you know. I, I did that not because I like these flowers, but because they had uh, the bouquet that I got for church last week had the biggest lilies ever in the history of the world. There were two of them and they're open now and they're about this big. They're absolutely enormous and the whole house smells like lily. Uh, well, up until I turn on the incense and then I, the whole house every day at dinner time, you can't cut through it, it's so thick. Um, Sergio brought me this beautiful incense burner from Israel and all of the frankincense and myrrh, all of the, the 
Man, that house is, it's smoking every, you open the door and it just rolls out. So, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, it's great. I just, and I got a little science putting all, each one on there and then you take the, the frankincense because it's real small bitty stuff and you put it on there and it just goes, Poof. yeah, so we've been doing this every day for months now. So, and we're getting low, so I hope he makes another trip to Israel soon. He needs, I need to stock up on it. Stop on the way home, yeah. please. Yeah. Now, he's, he's in Italy now. He went from the oh, Lithuania. He he's in Italy. Italy. Yeah, and then he'll be here. I won't say when, but he'll be back very soon. Okay, okay. Um, 11. That conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Okay, so... Uh, Paul is summing up his thoughts of verses 3 through 10 now. But let's go back and review all those just so that... I'm kidding. Um, uh, but the words according to are more specifically directed to verses 8 through 10. Uh, he has been speaking of the law as being an instrument not intended for righteous people, but for those who are unrighteous. This was its full intent and purpose. Uh, you know, you think about, if you just think about what I just said, the law is not, what, I'm repeating what Paul said, the law is not intended for a righteous person. Now, what is the thing that Israel believes defines them above everything else? They have the law. They have the law and therefore they are? Righteous. Righteous. Circumcision is a part of the law. It's true. Circumcision is the sign of that. But if you want to know who thinks who is righteous, you just go to, you, you get on the airplane to Israel and they want to have a little prayer meeting. They have to have 10 form a min, minyan, I think it's called. I can't remember. Anyway, and those 10 have to be considered righteous. They have to, they're Jewish and they, so you have to have 10 Jews there to have a minyan, okay? Uh, they are the righteous people, okay? The Lord gave them the law and the law is intended for the unrighteous. Paul said it, not me. Now, Paul is a Jew, so I'm not picking on the Jews here. I'm just taking the logic to where it needs to go. God gave the Jews the law. The law is for the unrighteous. It is to show them how desperately they need Jesus. They are not righteous. Not one of them. The whole nation thinks that they are the righteous of the world. And I'm not picking on Israel. I'm simply taking you through the logic of it. I love the people of Israel. I pray for the people of Israel, but they need Jesus. Think of it. Think of what Paul is telling us, okay? They have the law, and they are living and dying by the law. They need Jesus. Okay, um, uh, it's an instrument not intended for righteous people, but for the unrighteous. This was its full intent and purpose. And this concept is nothing invented by Paul as if he has found some new meaning in it. No. In fact, he had served under this law all of his life. He thought he was the righteous. He thought he was doing a favor to the Lord by killing the people that had come to Christ, the true righteous people, okay? They are striving for righteousness like Paul was and falling short of it continuously. And then came Christ Jesus. When Paul found true righteousness in him, he also found the true intent of the law. Thus his words concerning the law in relation to the unrighteous are according to, his words, according to this precept. After this, the English translation of the New King James Version is argued to break down. 
Rather than saying, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, Greek scholars say it is better translated as according to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. This then speaks of the glory in relation to God. In other words, the gospel is gospel which tells of righteousness apart from the law is seen in the glory of the blessed God. Now think of Gideon in those sermons we're in right now. The glory of God is revealed in the gospel. Everybody see that? That's what we're seeing and we're going to see for, you know, another probably five sermons. I don't know where we're at this week, but I think we're in six this week. Mm -hmm. Okay, six. So we got six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. So, it sounds yeah. a lot like Titus 2.14. Yeah, read it. L looking for the blessed hope, hope. Mm -hmm. in the appearing of the glory of our great God. Absolutely. Okay, he's tying it all up in the glory of God and the gospel is, okay, exactly. So, um, read that again. Uh, the gospel tells us of the righteousness apart from the law seen in the glory of the blessed God. It is a reference to the work of Christ Jesus who is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. That's 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. The gospel may be glorious, but it is only in relation to the one who brought it forth. The gospel is based on the work of Christ. It's not a separate entity altogether, okay? Christ is the one who is the glory of God. The gospel is revealing that to us, okay? It is Christ Jesus who is the glory of the blessed God. The glory of God in his infinite grace and mercy is seen in and through the work of Jesus Christ. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. That is the gospel, but it's based on what he has done, right. okay? That's, that's what Paul is saying to us. And the New King James Version kind of diverts from that in their translation. The gospel may be glorious, but it is only in relation to the one who brought it forth. It is Christ Jesus. Oh, I read that. Uh, the glory of God in his infinite grace. I read that. Too. Okay, apart from God's works in Christ, these things would be unknown, and they would be unattainable. But because of Jesus, we can see a glory that transcends the marvel of creation. And that's what Paul calls all of this. He calls it a mystery because these things could not have been known and they could not have been deduced unless God revealed it to us. And that's why he gave the law. He said, I'm going to give you this so that you can see where my glory is, okay? I am above this, and you keep failing at this, and you keep failing at this, and you keep failing at this, year after year after year, king after king, judge after judge. All of the failing that Israel did was a lesson to the world, okay? It's not a lesson for us to go back and start doing what Israel's been doing for failing at for 1,500 years, okay? That's not what it's for. It's to lead us to what God did in fulfilling that law that those people could not fulfill. And yet people come in and, you know, especially these Hebrew roots people, that everything Jewish is where it's at. Everything Hebrew is the cat's meow. And everything that the Gentiles have been doing for 2,000 years is just plain wrong. You got it all wrong and you need to go back and observe the feast. You need to observe the Sabbath. You can't have that pork sandwich. I'm sorry, put that down right now. Okay, this is what they are, you know, all of their beans are in that basket. They're all putting all of their hopes in their effort before God instead of saying, you know what, Jesus did it all. He took care of it for us, and I'm going to trust in that. Can't do that. You know, that, and that's what Paul's arguing against, and here we are 2,000 years later still going through the same thing.
because we don't pick this word up and believe it. Okay. Um, uh, okay. So we can see that all of the majesty of creation is only a container for man to exist in and into which God himself would enter and demonstrate the fullness of his glory to us. Everybody see that? All of this was made for us. Like I said, the guy walks after the flood, you know, Noah has a son, he has a son, he has a pretty soon, he says, well, I'm going to go head down to Africa. That looks like a nice place. He heads down there and there's this big open field and he says, well, I got to get to work. And he starts making, that rock was there for his benefit, right? We got oil in the ground. God gave us that oil. And you notice how it's strategically placed around the world. The places that have the oil, okay, it's all figured out by God. We're going to have a big bunch of it right here in the Middle East, and we're going to have a whole bunch down in Venezuela, most oil-rich country in the world, but they're not going to do anything with it, right? And so that's going to be a hot spot for all the nations of the world, like the U.S. and Russia. All Iran is in there. They're all trying to get that Venezuelan oil out of there, okay? Selling the nation away so that they can get oil that they already have. Everything is planned by God to bring about a perfect end to man's rule of himself okay it's just beautifully done but anyway the guy makes his little tool and then he starts working and and uh we've got developed societies right and he has his own language and then they get a little too much and they have another language break off and if you don't believe that you can go to a place like malaysia she's been there okay you go down the road three miles in that direction and there's a little compound there and there's a bunch of indians and nobody can understand them except them they understand Bahasa so they can speak the, the normal language, but they have their own language that they have developed all by themselves over the past couple hundred years since they were shipped from India to Malaysia, right? Nobody understands them but them. And we've seen this time and again driving around in there. Oh, they have their own language. Nobody talks to them, okay? The Lord has everything figured out, okay? He's got it all figured out. Um, so, um, Let's see here, uh, 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 where am I? Oh, yeah, okay. So, uh, understanding this, here we are in the world. Christ comes into the world to demonstrate to us the fullness of the glory of God. Understanding this, Paul notes that this amazing treasure, the gospel, which reveals these things, was committed his words to my trust. Paul says, I was allowed. It was a trust that was given me. I was allowed to present this. And that's what I need to think every day and anybody else here that goes out and talks to somebody about Jesus, you were committed that trust. This isn't something that you deserve. It's not something that you should treat flippantly. It's something that is committed to you to handle properly, not to do what they're doing in those churches around the world that are not handling the word of God. They've got their own little doctrines and their own little things and they'll have to stand before the Lord as well. Everybody's gonna have to do that. You might as well follow his word. That's what I would recommend to you. These words set his message apart from the false teachers noted in verses 3 through 7. They had a false gospel which revealed no glory at all. Think of that. Think of what they're doing in these churches. Is there anything glorious in what they're doing? They walk around and I, I love going to these churches, you know, and they got these big long robes and these pointy hats and they carry these crosses and they go down there and you know, they, okay, everybody stand up and the whole congregation stands up. Okay, everybody sit down. Okay, it's time to kneel. And they all think this is, this is so religious. I'm so pious doing these stupid things, right? They don't know what the word says. They couldn't care what God thinks at all because if they did, they'd at least pick this up and read it. All of the shadow, all of the, the hocus pocus they're doing, all right, 
has nothing to do with the glory that is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, the Pope he loves to use that term, doesn't he? The gospel. He says that in almost every communique that you read that the Pope said today, and he talks about the gospel. He's never once, in not one time in all the years that he has been in his popey chair, not once has it, I, have I ever seen any written communication that he has spoken where the gospel is actually stated. He just calls everything the gospel. This is the gospel. We, he doesn't even know what the gospel is. I guarantee you he doesn't know. He doesn't know what it is. It's so simple. Turn to 1 Corinthians. Well, where is that? Yeah, I can just see it. 1 Corinthians. Now go to chapter 15. Now go to verses 3 and 4 and read it. I can't do that. Whatever. It's just so sad. Anyway, no glory at all. Zero. No glory. They've got all of this 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 stuff they're doing and it has nothing to do with the gospel zero okay instead adherence to the law which they proclaimed was a part of earning their salvation now the catholic church doesn't really go to the law of moses they do in some ways divert to it minimally okay but for the most part the catholic church has just made up their own laws they made up their own path to salvation okay they've condemned anything about grace in god if you don't if you don't believe that statement Go read the Council of Trent from, what is it, uh, 14, 14, 1460? Anyway, the Council of Trent, just read the canons that they submitted. Canon 1, Canon 2, get down, you'll read them, and they are completely contrary to the Word of God. They're not even in accord with the Word of God. They're completely contrary to it. If you want, I can send them to you. I've got them in a binder right under the uh, pulpit here. What? They made them up. They made them up. They say, if anybody says that you are justified by grace apart from... You're anathema. That's exactly 100% opposed to what Paul says. 100% opposed. Okay, they made them up. They say this, this, this. You have to work, and if you think that you can get saved apart from our handling you, you will never make it to heaven. That's basically what they say. You need us to get you there. Okay? Uh, it, it, it's all in the... Just type in Canons of the Council of Trent, 1496. Anyway... I can't remember the year right now, but just type it in. You can read them. And just think about what they're saying. Yes. Is that where purgatory came up? You got a really nice shirt on today. I like that. Purgatory, yes. Purgatory. I, I just... It, it, no longer in purgatory. Yeah. <laughs> purgatory was... Why Why did they come up with purgatory? Anybody? Because they, they just told you you can't... But like, why, why did they come up with it? Money. It was a money extortion. That's all it was. It was just a shakedown for money. Okay. And so then people started to question, where do you get the basis for this? Okay. It was the old thing. Um, uh, if you uh, pay something, get your uh, something out of hell. Okay. They had this, this statement and they would give you a uh, little piece of paper. Indulgence paper. Thank you. They give you the indulgence and they'd say, well, now your your wife is no longer committed to hell for 10 years. She only has to go for, for two years or something. And you could pay people's way out of, out of purgatory. Okay. But the reason why what they did, the Apocrypha was introduced into the Catholic Bible at the Council of Trent yeah. to justify those things because the Bible doesn't justify them in any way, shape or form. So they said, we have determined that the Apocrypha is canon. They decided, the Catholic Church arbitrarily decided that that is now scripture. After 1400 years since the coming of Christ, they've decided that this is now scripture. 
And that's why they did that, to justify things like purgatory, indulgences, etc. Okay? Jerome, who did the translation of the Vulgate, from the Hebrew and from the Greek into the Latin, said, those are not a part of Scripture. They will be a part of Scripture over my dead body. And guess what they did? Okay, there you go. So, um, uh, but that's why they did it. Okay, purgatory, indulgences, all of that stuff is so that they can shake people down for more money. Now, you know, I got rid of it. We had a big Catholic Bible there. You know, I try to keep these things so you can see what people believe. But, I, you know, I still have the Book of Mormon back there and I still have the Jehovah's Witnesses back there because just in case somebody comes in and wants. But the Catholic, you know, it, we'll give you an indulgence if you read the Bible for 15 minutes a week or something, you know. And they, they, they say all these things, but nobody ever reads their Bible to start, start with to see that they can get an indulgence for it. The indulgences that they get are the ones they ask for at the church where the guy says, well, go say 27 Hail Marys and blah, blah, blah. You know, so the whole thing is just a system that is built for failure. That's all it is. And I don't hate Catholics. I don't hate... It's just built on lies. Their whole system is built on lies. And when they finally realize it, how many people in this church over the past many years have come out of Catholicism? I mean, 90% of the church that attends online or that is here has come from a Catholic background. I, I can't think of the number of people that have come into this church and said, I was a Catholic for years. Pentecostal. Pente well, yeah, you were Pentecostal. He still gets us. You, we do. Once, we have to let him go. There are times where we'll get excited during the sermon and I'll see him go down on the floor and do the gator. I mean, it's, it's very embarrassing, but we let him do it. Uh, okay, we got to go. But, we, but before you, like, we okay, leave the Catholic go, thing real Yes. Fast. Catholics are the easiest to evangelize. Yeah. They know all the pieces of the They've puzzle. Got, they just they need to have... put them together. That's right. So. They just need to hear the gospel. Mm -hmm. they, they have... You know, that is that is just like a Jew. The Jew Jews have the feasts. The yeah. Jews have all of that stuff. They've just never been told those things point to here. Well, the Catholics know the Trinity. They know the justification. They know the, you know, atoning sacrifice. They know all of that. They've just never been told this points to him doing it for you, and now you're done. They've never been told that. And so what do they do? They spend the rest of their lives working around all of those things without ever understanding the simplicity of what it says right here. I, I won't say who, but somebody was talking. I, I have only just a couple more minutes, but somebody was talking to um, uh, uh, a person on the phone yesterday. Okay, he was talking to an Indian. And uh, they, he had help. We'll just say Amazon. I don't know what the company was. He's talking to somebody from Amazon. He's from India. And, you know, is there anything else I can do for you today? And he says, yes, I'd like to know, can I tell you about Jesus? Oh, sure. Please tell me about Jesus. Okay. And so he, he's, he's talking to him. And he says, I'm going to hell. He said, that's all there is to it. I'm, I'm going to hell and I understand that. And there's nothing that's going to change that. And wow. it, you know what that means? He's an Indian that was raised under Catholicism. He's been told that he is an apostate and that he can't be saved, and he believes that. I, I, I guarantee you that's the truth because he, my friend never got to give this person the gospel because it, it was, you know, I, I'm going to hell. I've already been told that. There's no, And I remember you were in the church that day. This is years ago at a Baptist church over here, okay? We were at this church, and they had a missionary come in. And this missionary said um, he was singing. He was a singing missionary. He said, um, uh, I was uh, in a Pentecostal church and there were people outside rolling around in the grass and we laughed at them, little kids. And they said, you're going to hell. You can never be saved because you blasphemed the Holy Spirit. 
And he said, I drank my life away. I went into the service and I was a drunk. All I did was get up, do my job, and then drink. And then one day I was at a, a service. Uh, you know, they were having a revival on a base or something. And he said, uh, uh, he said, I heard the gospel. I met the king of glory. And my life changed. And the rest of his life, he's been singing about Jesus wherever he could. And I thought, what a devastating thing to tell a little kid that you can never be saved because you laughed at somebody that's making an embarrassment of themselves in front of the cross. It's just terrible. we got to get done. I've uh, got a couple more minutes. Um, these words set his message apart from the false teachers noted in verses 3 through 7. They had a false gospel which revealed no glory at all. Instead, adherence to the law which they proclaimed was part of earning salvation or even a convoluted misuse of the law. It was only a means of obscuring the glory of God, not a means of revealing it. What they put forth was only darkness and damnation, but that which Paul put forth was light and life. Let's see, where am I? 13, 12. Am I on the right page? 15. Where's page 16? 16. Okay, there it is. Huh. Uh, this trust given to him and to the other apostles is the true and marvelous gift of God, revealing the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That is what we need is the gospel. We don't need to be told when we're a little kid that you can't be saved because you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And you don't need to be told by the Catholic Church that unless you come to this church and save 57 Hail Marys and, you know, do whatever they ask you to do, you can't be saved. It's nonsense. Life application. Again, we need to consider Paul's words. If the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals the glory of the blessed God, and if the law is simply an instrument intended for the unrighteous, then why, oh why, would we shun the cross of Christ and place ourselves under the law? Why would we do that? Who on earth would throw away salvation in hopes of gaining condemnation? And yet this is exactly what those who hold to the law of Moses are doing. Be freed from this heresy, turn to Christ, and be saved through a reliance on his finished work. That's all you need to do is just trust in Jesus. He's done the hard part, folks. All we need to do is trust that. And, you know, it's hard to put yourself aside. I understand that. It's hard to say, I can't save myself, you know. And that's why I know people email me and they struggle with, like, the issue I told you earlier. You know, I, I, are they going to take away the rewards that I've earned? I just don't think that God is going to do that. I don't think God is going to take away what you have earned. He's going to take away what you have fouled up, okay? I just can't see God saying, you know what, you just don't deserve anything because when you've spent your whole life trying to please him and you're just a neurotic person that, I know, I go through this every day. Oh, boy, did I screw up today, right? I mean, I, I don't know if you guys think that. I think it all the time. I can't believe what I did today. I can't believe what I thought today. I can't believe this or that, the way I treated that person, okay? And I think, how could God love me? Now, if I've got to spend the rest of my life working hard to make up for that, instead of continuing to add to this pile, it makes not wanting to work a lot more appealing, doesn't it? I'm not going to take that attitude. I'm going to think that God is going to bless me for what I do right and just take away, just wash away the things that I've done wrong. Galatians 1 6. False gospel? I'm amazed. Oh, yeah, I am amazed that you're turning away from a gospel. So, absolutely. Yes. 
100%. Don't turn away from the gospel. They were saved, they were given the spirit, and then they go back on the law. Terrible. Okay, we'll go ahead and say a prayer and go. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for the grace of Jesus Christ that you have given us. Thank you. Thank you that you were willing to do what we cannot do. I don't understand anything about your state in the infinite realm. You created the world, and so we live in this pocket that you have created for us, and you are outside of it. And how you could have done what you did for us, I can't even comprehend it. But you did it. Your word says you did it, and your word says that Jesus has come, and he has prevailed. And we just want to thank you forever and ever and ever for that. And someday we'll have a better understanding of who you are when we don't have the stain of sin to block our minds from contemplating you more fully. May that day be soon. But until then, help us to be faithful stewards of your word and living according to what it says. To your glory we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to back up and just wave at you all. Can I, hear? Uh, I don't know if they can hear or not, so uh, break, break. Yes, okay, break.